Well, good morning, High Point. So good to be with you this morning. Thank you for joining us here in person. Of course, we thank all of those who have joined us online as well. Today, we're going to continue in our series titled Christmas, A Time for Hope and A Time for Healing. As I explained last week, the first part of that title, A Time for Hope, that's understandable from all of our perspective because the birth of Christ brought hope to all mankind. But the second part, A Time for Healing, well, that's in there because I believe we are all in need of healing in some area of our life. Sometimes we don't even know it. Sometimes we've just been carrying around something with us for so long that uh, we think it's normal when it's not. So we need healing from these types of things. And my point is that Jesus' arrival didn't just bring hope, but he also brings healing into our lives as well. Last week, we talked about this subject of fear. And I mentioned about how with all the crazy things that are going on in our nation and in our world that I've never seen my church family more fearful than I have over over the past year. Well, this morning, I wanna talk about peace. You know, you run into people throughout your day who are busy, who are stressed, you find out that they're tired, they're, they're disengaged, and then even on the other end of the spectrum, you find people who seem to be on top of their game. They outwardly appear to have it all together. But I have found that the outward veneer can be very misleading. Because the truth is, no matter how someone appears on the outside, it's very rare to find an individual who is truly at peace. I'm talking about people who are at peace with themselves, people who are at peace with the world, and most importantly, people who are at peace with God. People who are literally walking day by day in peace. It's a rare quality. And yet it is one of the reasons that we celebrate Christmas because Jesus came to give us peace. In fact, 700 years before the very first Christmas, the prophet Isaiah prophesied this in Isaiah 9, 6. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. On that very first Christmas, when the angels appeared to the shepherds in the sky, they said in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. So Isaiah pronounces peace, the angels announce peace, and when Jesus starts his earthly ministry, it's all about peace. In fact, before he goes to heaven, he says this in John 14.7, which we studied not too long ago. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Jesus says, I'm giving you the gift of peace and it's the kind of peace that only I can offer. You can't get it in a bottle, you can't take it in a pill, you can't get it from a motivational speaker or reading the right kind of a book. It's the kind of peace that only I can give. And understand that the peace that Jesus offers is nothing like the peace that the world gives. Because the world's peace is phony, it's fragile, it doesn't last. How many peace treaties have been broken within weeks of the time they've been written? So this Christmas, as we think about the coming, the arrival of the Prince of Peace, I wanna talk about what this peace is really all about. What kind of peace does Jesus give us? Then I want us to look at how you get it, the steps to peace, if you will. And first I wanna say that I don't know what your story is this morning. You may have had a very good year. You may have had a really tough year. Maybe it's been stressful for you. Well, if that's true, then you pick the right service to come to because we're going to look at how to get the peace of God in your life because God did not intend for any of us to go into this next year full of stress, full of worry, full of anxiety. But instead, he wants us to be full of peace, full of serenity, 
full of tranquility. Does that sound good to you? You know, I did a search in my Bible software. I realized there are literally hundreds of verses pertaining to peace. So we're going to go over every one of them this morning. So buckle your seats. We'll get out at about 2.30. I hope you brought a sack lunch with you. I'm just kidding. When you do look at the scriptures, you come to realize that there are really three kinds of peace. There's spiritual peace, there's emotional peace, and there is relational peace. Spiritual peace is eternal. It's being at peace with God. Then you have emotional peace. That is an internal peace. It is being at peace with yourself. It's surprising how many people are not at peace with themselves. Then there's relational peace. That is an external peace. That's being at peace with other people through relationships. So this morning, I want to look at these three kinds of peace. And, and the first kind of peace that Jesus came to give us was peace with God. That's the spiritual peace that I'm talking about. And it's the most important one because it affects everything else. We all know that when a relationship is out of whack, when you are having tension with your spouse or with a friend, nothing else seems to matter. When you have a strain or a conflict in any relationship, it just robs you of your peace. It robs you of your joy. Well, nothing does that more than being out of whack, if you will, with God. 2 Corinthians 5.18 says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. The first thing Jesus came to do was to restore peace between us and God. That's the reconciliation part that's being talked about in this scripture. It's restoring a broken relationship. Why do we need this? I'll tell you why. Because anytime I go my own way and I think I know better than God does and I make up my own rules, whenever God tells me to do something his way and I choose to do it my own way because I'm pretending to be God, I'm pretending to be the Lord of my own life, I'm not going to do what the Bible says to do. I'm going to do what it is that David wants to do. Whenever I disobey God or fight God or ignore what God has to say to me, it's an act of rebellion. It's an act of revolt. Have you ever looked at it that way? It is. And it puts me in conflict with God. And, and there is no peace to be found in that, ladies and gentlemen. So what happens is I get disconnected. And that's when I feel like God is a million miles away from me. But he doesn't want you and I to live disconnected from him. He made us to be connected to him. Romans 5.1 says, since we are made right with God by faith in Christ, we have peace with God because of what Jesus has done for us. Peace with God does not come from what you do. It comes from what Jesus did on the cross for you. Being a nice person doesn't put you at peace with God. You get peace with God because of what Christ Jesus did. And furthermore, by being in a redemptive, growing relationship with him. That's really what Christmas is all about. Romans 5.10 says, For if, while we were still, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, having been brought back into peace, shall we be saved through this life. You know, if you've ever had an opportunity to take any anthropology classes, you will find that a lot of religions offer what is called a peace offering. The Greeks, the Romans, and even some Native American religions would offer peace offerings to God. Well, the Bible tells us that you don't need to do that. You don't need to make a peace offering to God because God already did it and he did it when he offered Jesus to die for us and our sins on that cross. Hebrews 9.26 says, but he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's referring to Jesus. So you don't have to offer a peace offering to God. You just accept what Jesus did. He gave himself, he gave of his life to pay for your and my sin. You remember when the wise men came to visit the baby Jesus 
in Bethlehem, it says that they brought to him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What is the significance of those gifts? Those are not exactly Fisher-Price toys that you would give a baby. Why would you give a baby the gift of myrrh? Myrrh is an embalming spice. It represents death. You use it at burial. They were saying that this baby came to die. He came to grow up and die for our sins. That was Jesus' purpose for coming to this earth. It was his mission. So the first kind of peace is spiritual peace, which is peace with God, and that comes from what Jesus accomplished on the cross for you and I. I, I recognize that amen. Frank, <laughs> Frank and Deborah, you're back. Good to have you. I missed your amens, brother. Missed seeing you, Deborah. Deborah's been in a battle with cancer. She's gone through some treatment and she's on the upside now. And we're just praying for continued healing, God's healing in her body. The second kind of peace is emotional peace. That is peace within. The Bible has a word for emotional peace that comes inside of me. It's called the peace of God. You see, when I have peace with God, then I get the peace of God in my life. That's the kind of peace that makes me feel all right. It makes me feel good. Colossians 3.15 said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Notice here, it says in. It's inside of you. It's internal. It's emotional. The Hebrew word for peace in the Bible is the word shalom. I'm, heard, I'm sure you've heard that word used many times before. Shalom means more than just an ending of hostilities. It means well-being. It means happiness. It means harmony. It means serenity. It has a lot of different meanings. As mentioned earlier, the Bible is full of verses about peace. So I'll summarize it all by just saying this. There is a peace for every one of your problems. Whatever problems you have, God has a corresponding peace for you. For those with a broken heart, he offers a comforting peace. For those with a confused heart, he offers a guiding peace. For those who have a shamed heart, he offers us a forgiving peace. If we have a worried heart, he gives us a confident peace. So God says, I offer peace to you, and when you have peace with me, then you receive my peace inside of you. When you have peace with God, as I said earlier, then you have the peace of God. It's internal. It is peace inside of you. So God has a peace for every problem. You have financial problems, there is a financial peace promise to be found in the scriptures. If you have physical problems, there is physical peace promises found in the scriptures. If you have a bitterness problem, he says, I will give you forgiveness. That's the solution to that. God says, I don't want you to worry about anything. So there's this tangible peace that rests inside of you. Well, then there's a third kind of a peace. It, it's called relational peace. That is what we refer to when we're talking about peace with others. So you have peace with God. You have peace with yourself. And the third peace is peace with others. That is relational peace. Relational peace is the fact that the further away that I get from God, the more it messes up my relationship with everybody else. If, if you want to strengthen your marriage or if you want to strengthen any relationship in your life for that matter, the, the antidote is to get close to God. Because if you really get close to God and your spouse is likewise growing closer to God, what it does is it pulls the two of you closer together. The more out of whack, conversely, that you are with God, the more out of whack you are going to be with your spouse and with other people. But there's... The other side of the story, the further away that, that I get from God, the more cranky I'm going to get with you. It's just the way that we're wired. This world, in case you haven't noticed, isn't getting any more peaceful. It, you see it all around us, it's getting more conflicted all the time. So how do we have unity? Well, in America, we talk about e pluribus unum, or out of the many, one. Or we say, in God we trust, or united we stand. But how 
do we get this unity when there are so many different kinds of people out there? Well, the only way the world is going to experience peace is when we're unified as children of God. Let me show you a couple of verses. Ephesians 2, 15 and 16. It says this about Jesus. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. In other words, through Jesus' death on the cross, we can embrace each other and we can throw away the hostilities that we have between each other. So Jesus is the one. When the Prince of Peace is in our lives, we are going to have peace with other people. You look around lately and all you see are the nations bickering. Am I wrong? I mean, Russia and China, man, they're rattling their sabers like crazy in case you haven't noticed. I mean, there's a lot going on out there in the world. It's all falling into place, folks. It's all falling into place for the end time. But, there, but there's all kinds of bickering going on. It wasn't too long ago that many of the major cities in America were being destroyed. We had, we, we, there was crime, there was injustice, there was racism. Some people just wanted to destroy stuff, so they were out destroying people. That was simply a display of division between us as Americans, not even us as foreign against a foreign nation. But Galatians 3.27 tells us this. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. So these three kinds of peace that we have discussed build on each other. First, I have to have peace with God. And then when I have peace with God, I get the peace of God and I start feeling good about myself personally. And when I start feeling good about myself personally, I've got peace within me. Then I can have peace with you. Things that used to tick me off and things that used to irritate me, they don't bother me so much anymore because I'm at peace and things don't bother me when I'm at peace. When I'm filled with self, conversely, it doesn't take much for me to get irritated. It doesn't take much for me to get angry. But when I empty myself and I become filled with his peace, things don't shake me. People don't upset me like they used to. These three kinds of peace, ladies and gentlemen, all start in a relationship with Christ. So how do we enjoy the peace that I've just talked about? Spiritual peace with God, emotional peace within myself, relational peace with my family, with my friends. The Bible says do three things, and this could be a life-changing moment for somebody here today. If you'll apply what I'm talking about today to your life. You're gonna be a new person if you actually follow what the Bible says about how to enjoy the peace of God. Not just this Christmas, but every day of your life. And first and foremost, you must experience a moment of clarity. And I've been praying that you would receive a moment of clarity this morning in this service. It's a life-changing moment that is brought on by the Holy Spirit and it transforms you forever because you never are the same again. Because all of a sudden you see things like you've never been able to see them before. All of a sudden you see God as he really is and not how you were brought up to believe he is, which was erroneous. And you see yourself as you really are and not like what you think you are, not like what you, your parents told you you were. It's within that moment of clarity that you say, I get it. I get God, and I even get myself. You start to see other people as they really are, and not as you've been told they are, not as you thought they are, but as, you really, as they really are. You begin to see your problems in a moment of clarity too. All of a sudden you realize that's a problem that I've never recognized before. I've been battling against this my whole life. I've just never seen it. I've been blindsided to it. But you see it in a moment of clarity. You see your past clearly and not the way that your mind has chosen to rewrite it. You see your present clearly and you see your future clearly. 
God wants all of us to have a moment of clarity. In that very first Christmas, every one of the players in the story had a moment of clarity. Joseph had a moment of clarity in a dream that God gave him. In a dream, all of a sudden, he realized, okay, I get it. I, I understand what's going to happen. This all makes sense to me now. The wise men, they had a moment of clarity. They're all looking up in the stars, and God brought understanding and clarity to what they were seeing in the sky, and they knew that they were to follow that star in order to find the, the Christ child. Mary had a moment of clarity when God helped her understand the word of God that was spoken to her. The shepherds had a moment of clarity when they encountered the angels. It was a miracle, and they decide, we got to go and check this thing out that they're talking about. Elizabeth had a moment of clarity through Mary. Sometimes you'll get a moment of clarity from a friend who God will use, and they might ask you, have you ever thought about what you're going through in this way? Have you ever seen this in your life? What happens in a moment of clarity is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people. You see, God knows everything about you while you might know almost nothing about God. What you need is a moment of clarity where all of a sudden the light bulb comes on and you get it. It might be for the very first time in your life that you actually can see things clearly. Until that happens, you are not going to have peace in your life. And by the way, the opposite of clarity is denial. So what are you pretending is not a problem in your life today? What are you pretending not to know about yourself? What are you pretending not to know about the relationships you're in? What are you sweeping under the rug and trying to hide? Denial is the opposite of a moment of clarity. When you have a moment of clarity, you stop blaming other people. And you come to realize that the biggest problem you have in your life is me. It's ourselves. You quit blaming your spouse. You quit blaming your children. You quit blaming your coworkers, your parents, your boss. You realize, you know, I'm the problem here. And it's the way that I'm responding to all these things in my life. Jesus said it like this in Luke 11:35. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. What does he mean by that? He is saying that we all have the amazing ability to deceive ourselves. I said this last week. You lie to yourself more than you lie to anybody else. And you do it all the time. You sometimes tell, your thing, tell yourself things are worse than they are, and other times you tell yourself that things are better than they really are. You say, it's okay. It's no big deal. I've got it under control, and that's nothing but denial. Here's the problem. Until you have a moment of clarity, you won't understand what it feels like to have real peace. You can have lived your life for so long without peace that you think that the way you are living life now is actually normal when it's not. You think that all of the stress and all of the anxiety and all of the fear, all of the fatigue, all of the tension, well, that's just normal. That's the way everybody lives. No, it's not. They don't. There is a peace with God and there is the peace of God that gives you peace with other people. In a moment of clarity, you realize maybe there's a better way of living. You may think to yourself, well, you know, I'm living the good life. I'm looking good. I'm feeling good. I have all the goods. But let me tell you something. I know a lot of people who have all of those things, and they're miserable. They're miserable with their life and themselves. It doesn't matter how many toys they've got. They're still miserable. They're not at peace. They're anxious, they're insecure, they're fearful, they're afraid. They're dealing with all kinds of emotions. Why? Because they don't have that inner peace. You need the better life. You need a moment of clarity. We all do. When we realize there's actually a better way to live than I'm living right now, the root cause of all of my stress is by thinking that I know better than God knows. And if I would just quit doing things my way, things would work out by doing things God's way. 
Listen to Isaiah 48, 18. God says this, if only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. He's saying you would have had more peace than you could have imagined, and yet you continue to do things in your own way. It starts with that moment of clarity that only God can bring to you. It's when I'm honest with God, it's when I'm honest with myself, and it's when I'm honest with other people. Here's number two. You must express an attitude of humility. First, you must experience that moment of clarity, but you must also exhibit an attitude of humility. You see, God blesses humility. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. That means that every time I'm prideful, I'm on the opposite side of God. He opposes the proud, but the good news is he gives grace and favor to the humble. Grace is the power that you need in order to have peace in your life. So here's the exchange. I exchange my vanity for his serenity. What a deal that is. I humble myself and I get his peace. I exchange my anxiety for his tranquility. That's what happens. I've been in a personal relationship with Jesus now for over 25 years, and one of the things that I have learned is that God is not impressed with me when I whine. <laughs> he's not moved by my griping, and he's not moved by your griping either. When I gripe, when I complain, when I whine, it doesn't move God at all. What touches his heart is humility. When I humbly ask God, God, as, as humbly as I can say this, I need you. I need your help. When I say that, God opens the floodgates of heaven, and he pours out grace and mercy, and he pours out his peace on me. He says, I want you to come and express to me an attitude of humility. One of the ways that we do that Folks, and so many of us still have not learned is when we admit that God is God. And guess what? You're not. And I'm not either. That's a good antidote for stress. Isaiah 26, 12 says, Lord, you established peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. When was the last time you've said that to God? Have you ever said that to God? Have you ever in a flat-out moment of humility said to God, I just want to admit that everything I am, everything that I have is because of you, God? I wouldn't be taking my next breath if it wasn't for you, God. There would not be blood coursing through my veins, and my heart would not be beating if it were not for you, God. You see, the only reason that you are sitting in this pew this morning is because God created you in order to love you. If God hadn't wanted to love you, you would not even exist. You were made by God and for God. You were made to be loved by God. It's the whole reason that you are alive. And God wants you to learn to love him back. So in humility, you come to him and you say, God, I just admit that all that I am and all that I have you hold it all together. It's not me. That's an attitude of humility that I was talking about. You know, I realize as we end this year that some of you have had a really tough year. Some of you have probably gone through some pretty tough times. Maybe you're barely hanging on. Well, I want to remind you of something, and, it, and this is a very true fact. We're all broken. You're broken, and I'm broken. We're all so deeply flawed. And that describes every single one of us. That's why we don't have peace. That's why we walk around stressed out. That's why we walk around with a trigger-thin temper, ready to blow at any moment. That's why we can't solve our problems. That's why we get fearful and hide our insecurities, because we're broken. Sin has broken every single one of us. But here's the good news, and this is truly good news. We're all deeply loved. 
We're loved by our Savior. And because of that, we come to God first in a moment of clarity and then follow that up with an attitude of of humility. So if you're broken, maybe some of you have had your heart broken this year. Here's a verse for you in Psalm 34, 18. For the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. If your heart is breaking right now, go close to God. He will rescue those who approach him with an attitude of humility. What I'm earnestly trying to convey to you this morning is there is an amazing sense of peace that can enter your heart today. And it can keep you going. And it's a peace that I can simply not explain to you. The Bible calls it the peace that passes all understanding. It's a peace that you have. And nobody could possibly explain to you why you ought to have it. Because there no, there's no reason that I should possess it, and yet I do, even in the darkest days. The Bible gives us practical ways to express our humility. Look at this next verse. If you'll do this, you'll find peace welling up in your life. It's Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, Present your request to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is the most difficult verse to follow in all the Bible. It says, don't worry about anything, and yet you and I still worry about most everything every day of our life. Worry is assuming responsibility that God never intended for you to have. And worry is also the opposite of peace. He says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. He gives you an alternative. You can pray or you can panic. You can worship or you can worry. You can have faith or you can default into fear. It's your choice. God is not going to force you to pray. He's not going to force you to worship. He is not going to force you to have faith. He's saying to you, do not worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Let that be your first action. Tell God what you need. Ask him for it. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. God's peace, which is far greater than the human mind can even grasp or understand. God's peace will guard your hearts and mind as you live for Christ Jesus. So let's review. What do I get? What do I have to do to get this kind of peace? You need a moment of clarity. You need an attitude that needs to be followed up with an attitude of humility. And you need to make a decision of dependency. Number three, what I mean by that is number three, you must expect Jesus to help you. God does what we expect him to do in our lives. That's what I call the faith factor. I want to sum everything up I've been trying to say to you today in, in one sentence. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who came to give peace on earth and goodwill to all men. He said, I'm going to give you the gift of peace. Not as the world gives it, because the world is incapable of giving it to you, but as I can only give it. And he summarizes the gift of peace in a single sentence. If you get this sentence, and you do the three things that Jesus tells you to do, then your stress levels are going to go way, way down, and your peace level is going to go way, way up. Here's what it says in Matthew 11, 28 and 29. These are the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Does that describe anyone here today? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You may be tired. You may be worn out. You may be carrying a heavy load. Well, he says, I will give you what you need most. I will give you rest. You know, a lot of people think if I come to Jesus, if I, if I become a Christian, that he's just going to give me more stuff to do, more rules, more regulations, more rituals, 
more religion. Many people view Christianity as a straitjacket kind of a, of, a, of a deal. It is not. It is the greatest amount of freedom that a human being could ever experience. Jesus doesn't say, I'm going to give you more rules, more regulations. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. He says, yoke up with me and learn from me for I am gentle, for I am humble. And here's the result. And you will find peace and rest for your disturbed soul. That phrase, rest for your soul, that's much deeper than physical rest. It's, it's soul rest. It's an inter internal kind of a rest. Your problem, your stress is not from an overworked muscle. It's an overworked mind, overworked emotions, and overworked spirit. You need rest from your physical la later, labor, yes. You, you may need, but you, more than that, you need rest from anxiety and tension. You need rest from guilt and from fear. How in the world do we get that? Well, the world says escape. When you're worn out, just go to Hawaii. But here's the problem with that. When you go to Hawaii, you're taking yourself with you. You didn't leave your stress in your office at work. Your stress is between your ears and you just took it with you. You don't go anywhere without your brain, I hope. So how do you unwind when you're, when you're exhausted and when you're overloaded? You might say, well, I like to go see a movie or I like to exercise or, or work on my hobby or play in my favorite sport. Those are all good things for physical restoration, but they will not restore your spirit. They will not restore your soul. That's a much deeper thing. When you're empty inside, here's what the culture says. The culture says, you just need more. You need to do more. You need to go more. And Jesus says, no. He says, come to me. Come and rest Put your head down on the pillow and rest and just come to me, he says, as you are. So the antidote to an, unloaded, an overloaded soul is not a time management program because that's not going to calm your soul. It's not going to give you that inner peace. It's not a philosophy. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And he says, come to me. And here's the three steps you must take. Number one, Come to Jesus. That's the first step. If I want to exchange my panic for God's peace and my worry for God's worship and my fear for God's faith and my anxiety for his tranquility and my vanity for his serenity, you make an exchange by coming to Jesus. And this is not a one-time thing because you do this every moment of every day. You keep coming back. Why? Because Jesus tells us, come to me. The answer for your peace is a person. It's not a plan. It's Jesus. Secondly, you must connect with Jesus. He says, connect with me. He actually says, yoke up with me. When I say the word yoke, most people think of that yellow thing in the middle of an egg. But the joke, the yoke, it's not a joke. The yoke that Jesus is referring to here is a piece of wood that puts two cattle or two horses or two donkeys together in order to pull something. That's called a yoke. What is the purpose of a yoke? To make the load easier by sharing it. You don't, if you don't yoke up to one horse with another horse, then one horse is pulling the entire load by themselves. A yoke is a symbol of partnership. God is saying, I did not intend for you to pull around all of your worries, pull all of your burdens, pull all of your stress and all of your responsibilities by yourself throughout this life. That's why you're tired of the all the time. You think if it's to be, it's up to me. Eh, you're wrong. You're getting tired. Why? Because you weren't made to go through life without God sharing your load. Jesus says, I will share it with you if you will yoke up with me. Put on your yoke with me and the two of us will pull your wagon together. And by the way, God's back is a whole lot stronger than yours is. Every time I get attached to Jesus, when I connect to him, when my life starts to get easier because God is helping me to pull the load. Every time, conversely, that I get disconnected from him, I get under stress because I'm pulling the whole thing myself and I'm tired and I'm frustrated and I'm agitated and I'm angry. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, you are gonna be yoked to something 
in this life. I know people who are yoked up with the expectations of other people. A lot of what you do, you do because you're concerned about what other people think. Well, that is a load that you were, you were never intended to carry. <laughs> I almost said something else, but I decided not to. <laughs> Jesus said, take my yoke. It's an exchange. I exchange my heavy burden for his light burden. He says, put me in charge because every time you yoke up with me, my peace is going to come to you. Thirdly, let Jesus change you. He says you need to learn from me. He says there's something that I know that you don't know. And I can teach you. Here's the thing. I come to Jesus. I connect with Jesus. And I let Jesus change me. But this is where we become so resistant. And our human nature kicks in. And our self-sufficiency drives everything that we do. And so to quote a famous TV host, how is that working for you? How does it work for you when you carry the load yourself and you do everything yourself and you make all your decisions and you don't lean upon God and yoke up with him to carry your burden through life? How does that work for you? Do you think that it is possible that God might know something more about your life than you know yourself? He does. It's called humility when you admit that. He says, learn from me because I am gentle and humble, unlike you are being at this time and maybe have been your entire life. And honestly, this kind of thing goes against our mindset, doesn't it? When we get tired, the first thing we think we're in need of is energy and stamina. So we get a, we get a smoothie and we, we do whatever. We do yoga. But God knows what causes the stress in your life. He says, come to me. And I will teach you something because I am gentle. I'll teach you also how to be humble. Why? Because humility and gentleness are the antidotes to two of the biggest causes of stress in life. Arrogance and aggression. Those cause stress. Aggression is when we don't want to wait on anything. We want to medicate how we're feeling right now. We got to have it now. We get aggressive. We don't want to wait. We don't want to pause. We don't want to consider. We jump right into things. And as a result, we get overcommitted. And then we become even more stressed out than we were when we started. He says, because you are so aggressive, because you are in such a hurry, you don't know how to delay gratification. You don't want to pause. You don't want to wait. You don't want to consider. He says, you're not gentle. You're in a hurry. And that causes distress in your life. Another thing is arrogance, which is the opposite of humility. What is arrogance? Arrogance is when I try to control everything. The more insecure I am, the more picky I get, the more hyper-controlling I become. People who are at peace don't have the need to control everything and everyone. When you experience the peace of God and peace with God, it gives you peace within you don't have to control everything. You're not sitting around in judgment of everything and everyone because you're at peace. God cuts you some slack, and in turn, you cut other people some slack as well. But when you're prideful, your ego is responsible for more stress than you can possibly realize. It just does. You try to have it all. You try to act like Superman or Wonder Woman. The antidote is gentleness and humility. The last verse I want you to see is Isaiah 26, 3. It says, you, Lord, give true peace to those who depend on you because they trust in you. Let's cut to the chase. Bottom line, are you tired of being stressed out? Or do you honestly think, I'll love another year of misery. That sounds really good to me. <laughs> I'd rather be prideful. I'd rather pretend like I've got it all together then admit to my family and friends and to God that I don't. Well, let me just say this morning that peace is yours. This is the gift of peace that the Prince of Peace came to offer us. 
not just at Christmas, but throughout our lives. He said, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives. You were made for more. You, you were not made to continually live under tension and stress and fear and anxiety and worry for the rest of your life. You were made, ladies and gentlemen, for that peace that passes all understanding. Scott, will you and the worship team come forward? I'd like to ask everyone to stand to your feet, please. <clears throat> Every one of you are here this morning for a reason. This is a, a God-ordained moment. And perhaps as you've been sitting here in this service today, you've come to realize that you don't have true peace in your heart. That's okay. Because I think if everybody were honest, we're all lacking a little bit of it today. And one of the main reasons for that is we're still trying to do things on our own. We're a controlling bunch of people as Americans. Because of our freedoms, we're free to do whatever we want to do. And so we truly think we're in control. And if you believe that, you're dead wrong. The point is we don't yoke up with Jesus like he intended for us to do. There are people here and who are watching online and you've never allowed Jesus lordship over your life. You know who he is, you, you know who Jesus is, you've read the history books, maybe you've even grew up in church when you were a kid, but you've never invited him <clears throat> into your heart. You've never received salvation. That's what Jesus offers. He offers forgiveness of sin, which reconciles us to God, and he gives us the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that lives in us, that gives us the ability to live life in a proper way. And if what I've been talking about this morning has created an interest in you, that means God's Spirit is drawing you to have a relationship with Jesus. This is where this moment of clarity that I've been talking about this morning comes from. And to be saved, the Bible says you must believe and confess. You must believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that He's the only way to God the Father, and that He came to this earth and he lived and he died an excruciating death and the blood that he shed on that cross, that blood literally atones, it literally covers your and my sin. You ask him to be the Lord of your life and you ask him for forgiveness of your sin. If you pray those words with sincerity in your heart, he will come into your life. It's when you finally humble yourself. It's when you finally allow yourself to really connect with God and allow him to change you from the inside out. It's in that relationship where you will find peace that you so desperately need. But I'm more, I even more so and equally want to address the many people here today who are already in a relationship with Jesus. What I've talked about this morning has sounded even attractive to you because maybe you've realized that you're not experiencing that inner peace that Jesus offers, that we all so much desire. You have experienced that moment of clarity when you received him as Lord. You asked him to save you. He washed your sins away. He put your feet on a new path. But over time, you've forgotten these important steps that I presented to you this morning because you've continually kept God kind of in your back pocket. He's kind of been your ace in the hole when you need him. But you're continuing to go through life on your own without any consideration for what God is doing in and through you or what he can do in and through you because you're so special and you're so good and you're so knowledgeable and you're so smart, you can't possibly get it wrong. And again, you're wrong. It's within this relationship that you will find the peace. Some of you are not walking in humility. Some of you have quit expecting Jesus to help you. Again, you're trying to do everything in your own strength. It's weighing you down. Some of you are not connecting with Jesus in any way, shape, or form. You're not reading the word. Prayer is not even a part of your life. The only time you pray is when you hear someone is sick and you say, God, heal that person. That's about the extent of what's coming out of your mouth. And when you're here on Sundays, you become a spectator. 
You're not engaging, you're not worshiping, you're not seeking God, you're doing your function, you're, you're doing the Christian thing, you're coming in these doors and you're knocking it off your calendar. I was a good doobie, I was a good Christian. I went to church on Sunday. And because of all of this, you're not allowing Jesus to change you from the inside out. And you're not experiencing the peace that he came to offer. You're fighting with him when all he's trying to do is to conform you into the image of his son. And you wonder why you're lacking peace. I wanna open this altar this morning to anybody who would say, I need that peace that passes all understanding. I'm lacking in it this morning. You know, there are three types of situations here this morning. Those who have never had peace and you want it, those who have had that peace, but you've lost it because you're not allowing God to have lordship over your life. And there are those who just simply don't have that level of peace that you would really like to have. This altar is open. If you would like to come down and seek the Prince of Peace with expectation and with humility to receive the peace he wants to give us. Peace with God, peace with ourselves, and peace with each other. While the worship team sings, come and kneel at this altar. Pastors and I will come and pray for you as well. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is called. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? And Jesus is called. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood Jesus Christ. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. And Jesus is called. sorrows and trade them for joy from the ashes a new life is born and Jesus is calling oh come to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was born Bow down before Him. 
Continue to pray. You can stay here as long as you'd like. I'd like to close this service in prayer if you bow your heads with me. Precious Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that Jesus not only came to save us, but to give us an inner peace. Father, my prayer would be that every person in this building is connected to this church would live in that peace every day of their lives that we would learn to quit being so self-sufficient and we would learn to start yoking to you and trusting you in the decisions that we make, the places that, that we go, the things that we do, God, would be driven by you and not by us. And within that, Lord, we would find true peace. I rebuke fear and stress and anxiety in the name of Jesus. And I pray, Father, that you would fill our hearts with your peace not just this Christmas, but throughout our life, throughout the year, God. And when we feel like we're getting distance from you, that rather than, than shutting down, that we would just lean into you again with humility. And we would seek a moment with you, God, and we would put things back into alignment and we would allow you to work in and through us again. And most importantly, that we would learn from you. Father, that's what our relationship with you is about, to learn and to grow. None of us have arrived. We are all a work in progress. And so God, allow us to see that. Allow us to desire greater growth in our life, which is only going to result in pure peace. That's what we seek, that's what we desire. And that's, that's what only you can offer. Father, impress upon us, it doesn't matter what we have. It matters who we have, and that is you in our heart and the Spirit of God indwelling us. That's where that peace comes from. I pray, pray that it would be manifested reality in each of our lives, Lord. Pray that as we go our separate ways today, Holy Spirit, you would go with, guiding and directing our steps, the decisions we make, the places we go, the conversations that we have, that those conversations would be ones that build people up and not tear down pray that the love of Christ would be exemplified in us so greatly that when people come into contact with us, they would sense your presence, they would sense your love, and would open up those doors of communication where we could allow, we were allowed to share your goodness with someone else. Father, help us to be bright lights in a very dark world, especially during this Christmas time. Allow us, God, to have discernment and faces and, 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 and a look of, 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 of upliftedness that, that we know who we belong to, that we know where we are going, and there is a peace that comes upon us that is tangible, that can be seen, that can be felt. That's our desire. Help us to walk through this season proud that we are believers in Christ and worshiping the one whose birth we celebrate. I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence. I thank you for the lives that you have changed this morning. I thank you for the souls that have been won both online and in this sanctuary. I thank you for the peace that you have given in people's hearts today. As we depart, we would live and walk in that peace above all other things. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being here. God bless you.